hppodcraft.com. The little village of St. Faith's nestles in a hollow of wooded hill upon the north bank of the River Fawn in the county of Hampshire, huddling close round its grey Norman church as if for spiritual protection against the fays and fairies, the trolls and little people who might be supposed still to linger in the vast empty spaces of the new forest and to come after dusk and do their doubtful businesses. The inhabitants of St. Faith's will not willingly venture into the forest after dark, for in spite of the silence and loneliness of the hooded night, it seems that a man is not sure in what company he may suddenly find himself. And though it is difficult to get from these villagers any very clear story of occult appearances, the feeling is widespread. One story indeed I have heard with some definiteness, the tale of a monstrous goat that has been seen to skip with hellish glee about the woods and shady places, and this perhaps is connected with the story which I have here attempted to piece together. It too is well known to them, for all remember the young artist who died here not long ago, a young man, or so he struck the beholder, of great personal beauty, with something about him that made men's faces to smile and brighten when they looked on him. His ghost, they will tell you, walks constantly by the stream and through the woods which he loved so, and in especial it haunts a certain house, the last of the village, where he lived, and its garden in which he was done to death. For my part, I am inclined to think that the terror of the forest dates chiefly from that day. So, such as the story is, I have set it forth in connected form. It is based partly on the accounts of the villagers, but mainly on that of Darcy, a friend of mine and a friend of the man with whom these events were chiefly concerned. Those were excerpts from the opening of the short story, The Man Who Went Too Far by E.F. Benson. You're listening here on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I am C.L. Pfeiffer. And I am C.J. Lackey. Why do all these writers go by the initials? We've never talked about that, and that happens a lot. And I don't, I don't, maybe they've got silly... Silly names? No, E.F. Benson is Edward Frederick Benson. Pretty solid name. Yeah. Do you think it gives you some sort of literary presence or something if you have the initials? T.S. Eliot, J.R.R. Tolkien. That That is a good question. If any of our listeners out there happen to know why it is a fashion to only go by your initials, uh, please let us know. Before we plunge in here, let's talk a little bit about Edward Frederick Benson. Well, E.F. Benson is an English or was, I should say, an English novelist. He was born in 1867 and died in 1940. Uh, he's from Berkshire, which is kind of southern England. And uh, his dad was a chancellor to the Archbishop of Canterbury. Also a figure skater. His dad was a figure skater? No, E.F. Benson was a figure skater. He was a figure skater. Yeah, he was uh, very athletic. He didn't have any children, and that was probably due to the fact that it seems like he was gay. Yeah, he seemed, I mean, he seemed like a guy who was attracted to men, just in his description of the main characters. And then when I read the uh, Wikipedia entry on him, it said that he was likely gay. And, and you can tell that in a lot of his stories, the way that he kind of talks about. Yeah, he wrote a, a bunch of, there was like a series of books about these characters called Map and Lucia. Mm-hmm. And somebody even picked up those characters and wrote on after he died. Yeah, very popular English literature, right? Yeah, and he's he supposedly is very uh, Map and Lucy is pretty camp, I guess is, is what they like to say over here. 
I, I don't think it was any big secret that he was gay. He he lived in uh, there was an island he lived Capri. In. Yeah, he lived yeah. in the Isle of Capri, which I, according to Wikipedia was extremely popular with wealthy gay men in the First World War. Right. He uh, he died of throat cancer uh, in London, and a lot of his stuff was used later on, some of his ghost stories. Uh, I think there was an episode of The Twilight Zone, even. Yeah, the room for one more thing, which is funny because when we uh, were talking about The King in Yellow, there's a, that story about the hearse going by, and he's, you know, he's in it. Mm-hmm. A popular retelling of that is in the F. Benson story that was in Twilight Zone. Yeah. Who did we hear reading that passage in the beginning? How can you ask me that question? <laughs> that is the illustrious, no, the godlike, <laughs> Andrew Lehman. It was Andrew. Man, thanks for coming back and, and doing some reading for us. I told him, uh, I haven't read the story yet, but I think it's about the ghost of a goat uh, doing something. And he and Andrew said, that sounds like a hilarious circumstance. I have to read this. <laughs> it turns out that it's not a ghost goat, but uh, Andrew did a great job with it. And also, if you guys are into listening to Andrew talk, who is not? That's my question to all of you. Right. He has just partooken. He has just worked on partooken. Yeah. He he just partook in <laughs> an adaptation, an audio adaptation of the case of Charles Dexter Ward, which yeah. the which is part of the series of the Dark Adventure Radio Theater, and those guys have done the Call of Cthulhu, Shadow of Innsmouth, uh, Shadows Out of Time. Yeah, at the mountains of madness, a lot, they're, they're, and they're all great, and I think that everybody would really enjoy this. I just got it. What you got it? Benefits of living in America, laggy. <laughs> Boo hoo! <laughs> now, what's really cool about the um, about these also is they also they come with a lot of props and things. So yeah. When you open up the CD, it just kind of explodes with all these documents and papers and images and and newspaper clippings, and they're all from the story. So it's it's not just an audio CD that you're getting, you're getting a whole experience. Exactly. All right. Now in this story we had that opening that kind of set the scene. It's this haunted wood sort of feeling that we're going to get from this story. Uh vibrant with life, the woods, there's all kinds of animals running around sort that sort of thing. At night, people are a little scared to go out there. There's this story about a goat that <laughs> <laughs> that haunts the woods. And I don't want to freak you out, but that is only one letter away from ghost. Too bad, Chad. You just freaked me out. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I am freaked out right now. <laughs> we get taken through St. Faith's and we go. We end up at this house after that opening on the edge of a village right by the river. And there's a guy laying out in a hammock. And this guy is named Frank Halton. The story is being told by a guy who's friends with the character that's just arriving, whose name is Darcy. Right, Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy. And right there at the beginning, Frank asks a servant that he has that's coming out and bringing him iced tea or whatever. Is Mr. Darcy arrived yet? And he hasn't. But that's how we know. All right, this is what's going to happen. We got Frank and Darcy's about to show up. Mm -hmm. So Darcy's kind of our proxy you you say that the narrator talks, I have a friend named Darcy, yeah, and this is something that happened to him, but quickly we just sort of absorb Darcy as the narrator. Yeah. So Darcy shows up at this home, which is out by the river in the middle of these woods, and sees Frank. Then we get a little description. Frank's of medium height. He's slender. He's dark-complected. He almost looks like he's a teenager. He comes out of the, out of the river from his little swim, mm -hmm. and Darcy sees him. He's blown away because he looks so young and, and he doesn't even really recognize him and he says oh yeah well 
some things have been going on in my life, and I want to I want to tell you about them. He says he's close to his age, which is about 35, and he looks yeah. like he's 18 years old. When Darcy shows up, it describes Darcy as somebody who appeared to be halfway through the fourth decade of his years. So he's in his 40s. In his 40s. Later, he says to Frank, hey, I know you're 35 years old, but you look amazing. You look younger than when I've last seen you. At one point, Darcy offers him a cigarette, and he doesn't take it. Oh, I don't smoke anymore. And then also, uh, he reveals that he's a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. It's that thing that you are afraid is going to happen to your friends. You know, you you leave each other when you're young, and you all have the same habits, and then you meet them later, and they look great, and and you feel like an idiot. Uh, yeah, because they gave up all the bad habits that you guys were doing. Yeah, exactly. You, you still did. have. You're like, <laughs> oh, I do remember. That's right. We used to do terrible things, but now I'm awesome. And I forget that people even do terrible things. This guy's a vegetarian. He doesn't smoke. He just hangs out in nature by the pool and and feels fabulous all the time. And on top of that, there's a total Snow White moment when flipping a bird comes by and it lands kind of on Frank's finger and they kind of do a little tweet, 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 tweet. And he nuzzles up to him and then the bird flies off and he's like, wow, that's a pretty tame bird. He goes, no, he's not. He's not tame. (laughs) I wondered where this was going, I gotta admit, at the time. I thought, this is a weird tale, but all it sounds like is this guy went to a spa and he looks great. That's the (laughs) plot so far. (laughs) Well, yeah, I honestly thought, oh, he's been to the spa where you've got to do a mud bath in human blood. Right, you got to murder. I thought it's going to be that type of thing, and it's not. It's not like that at all. No, he, he just basically, well, then he explains this to Darcy. They sit down, they catch up, and over the last six years, Darcy has done very well in the art world. Unfortunately, he had uh, an attack of typhoid mm-hmm. and needs a little rest and relaxation. And that's the reason he's come out to hang out with his buddy. But they used to share studios, so there's lots to catch up on. And uh, after Darcy sort of goes through what's been happening, he says, well, what have you been up to? I mean, why do you look so young? What's your story? I mean, right. your old paintings fetch a ton of money. If you'd have stayed in the game, you'd probably be doing well. So why did you run out to this forest? And Frank says, you know what? I've been doing nothing. I've been doing nothing. And he's like, what do you mean you've been doing nothing? And he goes, no, yeah, I've been doing nothing. He goes, well, you've been painting. You've been doing artwork. What have you No, I've just been doing nothing. Darcy says, okay, so you're sort of like a woman of fashion now, which makes Frank laugh boisterously. But that's what I thought, too. I mean, anybody would look young if they just went out and laid in the woods and had a servant bring them food, right? Yeah, that's one of these things about a lot of these stories. People have servants. Yeah. A lot of stories are written about the upper class, and I guess written by the upper class as well. You have a good point. Obviously, a normal person couldn't pursue the philosophy that this person has pursued, which is be at rest always and just enjoy the beauty of nature. Yeah. Enjoy. I mean, that's kind of what his whole philosophy, Frank's philosophy, is all about, is just trying to find joy and life and trying to always be happy and find beauty and happiness in beauty so he's kind of on this intense quest for joy open myself to nature and darcy says well what do animals want in nature what makes birds and animals happy it's food food and mating right <laughs> and i was on his side when i heard that yeah too. yeah and and he's like no 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 i'm not into that i'm not a sensualist right i'm I'm a person that's trying to understand why and how joy is attained in nature because there are things that are naturally beautiful. Yeah, he makes a clarification because it's not that he's just out to get 
laid because yeah. that could make somebody happy but there's also a lot of misery involved there he's more interested in why do puppies play with their own tails you yeah know, why why are they just happy needlessly right so by the continual observance and study of things that were happy continued he i got happiness i got joy but seeking it as i did from nature i got much more which i did not seek but stumbled upon originally by accident. It is difficult to explain, but I will try. About three years ago, I was sitting one morning in a place I will show you tomorrow. It is down by the river brink, very green, dappled with shade and sun. The river passes there through some little clumps of reeds. Well, as I sat there doing nothing but just looking and listening, I heard the sound quite distinctly of some flute-like instrument playing a strange, unending melody. I thought at first it was some musical yokel on the highway and did not pay much attention. But before long, the strangeness and indescribable beauty of the tune struck me. It never repeated itself, but it never came to an end. Phrase after phrase ran its sweet course. It worked gradually and inevitably up to a climax, and having attained it, it went on. Another climax was reached, and another, and another. Then, with a sudden gasp of wonder, I localized where it came from. It came from the reeds, and from the sky, and from the trees. It was everywhere. It was the sound of life. It was, my dear Darcy, as the Greeks would have said, it was Pan playing on his pipes, the voice of nature. It was the life melody, the world melody. Man, that sounds just like the great god Pan, Arthur Mackin. Exactly. I had I at that point I went and I looked up the date of the story. I think it came out in an anthology in like nineteen twelve. Mm-hmm. So a good 22 20 years. years after the great god Pan. Yeah. So this is an idea that's been out. Well, he even says the Greeks talked about this. Sure. If you see Pan, unbridled nature, you'll die. Yeah. But this guy says, I don't care about that. I just want to be happy all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pursue this. So, I mean, how are you feeling about this guy's philosophy at this point in the story? For me, uh, and it actually gets addressed later in the story, is talking about nature being this beautiful thing when there's joy and happiness can be found. Nature is brutal. Nature is horrible. I don't see nature at all as a very sublime, beautiful thing. There is a a balance to it, but that balance is only attained through pain and misery and destruction. It's beautiful in spite of itself. Yeah. I love nature, too. You know, after we get done with the show, I'm going to go out and go for a hike. I love to be out in the natural world, but to just assume there's it's all about happiness or it's all about one thing. It's so stupid. I was reading an article the other day about what are things you can do in your life that don't take a lot of effort that actually improve the world. And one of them is keep your cats inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because there's too many of them. Yeah. And they are free. They're just focused on death. If yeah. you let them out. They'll hunt for sport, even though they have food at home. Yeah. They'll kill things because that's just kind of what they're hardwired to do. Yeah. So even my cute, cuddly cats, I mean, really, they're a force of death. If they were to let out in the world, it wouldn't be good for anybody. 
They'd kill birds. They'd, they'd destroy as much as they can. <laughs> now, Chad, you're talking about today you're going to go on a hike and, and you're going to probably go out on that hike and enjoy yourself and enjoy being out in nature and seeing the trees and the sun and all that, all that stuff. But you and all of humanity has spent most of its life protecting itself from nature. Absolutely. I don't want to sleep in it. No, of course not. You want to be protected from it because it's tough. It's hard. Yeah. And uh, that's one of those things that, that just sort of bugged me initially about the story. But then he this it comes out later. And then when that did come out, when they started talking about that, Darcy brings it up. I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit here. But Darcy yeah. brings it up and says, yeah, you're out of your mind. Nature is horrible. He says basically what I said. And I'm like, oh, finally. And, and that, that kind of gets into the whole idea. And we'll talk about that when we get to that part of the story. Right. The, the important thing is that Frank is discussing this philosophy that he's adhered to. Mm-hmm. which is to only enjoy happiness and be contemplative in nature. But one day while he was doing this, he started to hear these pipes. It's the music of Pan. It's the kind of understanding the fabric of the universe, but it scares him. It's, it's horrific. Everything is part of the one and only thing, which is life. I know that that is so, but the realization of it is not yet mine. But it will be. And on that day, so I take it, I shall see Pan. It may mean death, the death of my body, that is, but I don't care. It may mean immortal, eternal life lived here and now and forever. Then having gained that, ah, my dear Darcy, I shall preach such a gospel of joy, showing myself as the living proof of the truth that Puritanism, the dismal religion of sour faces, shall vanish like a breath of smoke and be dispersed and disappear in the sunlit air. But first, the full knowledge must be mine. So there's going to come a moment in which he's going to face unbridled nature. And he's not quite sure what the effect is going to be. He's either going to kill him or make him immortal. But this is the end point of his pursuit. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, again, that's a crazy idea to have. He doesn't really know what would happen if, if, if even if he's right. He's like, well, it might kill me. It might destroy my body. I might become immortal. I don't know. But I'm still going to pursue this stuff. And it's like, what do you mean? Right. <laughs> it seems so dangerous. Those two ends are, or it could be something that he's not even anticipating. Like he's tampering with forces that he shouldn't mess with. Really similar to the Great God Pan, this whole I idea. wish he'd read the Great God Pan, because then he would know not to do this. <laughs> <laughs> right. And maybe he did. Maybe this is some sort of sequel to the Great God Pan. I doubt it, though. It just seems like... Uh, I don't know. Instead of the brain surgery, all he needs to do is just kind of lay back on his hammock and absorb. Right. And so they go into the rest of the night and talk. Uh, I keep talking about this stuff, but it's getting late, and Darcy's getting tired, but he's sort of kind of worked up. And uh, Frank says, hey, you know, I can help you sleep. And he goes, uh, all right. And he goes, all right, well, just, uh, you know, just kind of relax here, lay down. And then he's sort of, he's out, he's gone. Yeah, he does a little hypnotizing. Yeah, exactly. He wakes up in the morning and he feels great and, and totally refreshed. Darcy says, hey, where'd you learn your hypnotism? So, oh, no, I just learned it by the river. It's one of the many things that he's picked up from being on this crazy nature vibe. I, you know what, Chris? Can I just level with you, man? I Sure. I hate this story. I didn't care. That, at this point? At all? At all. I didn't care the whole time I was reading it. Really? I'm trying to put on a brave face here, but you know what? You you hated the Willows so much, I'm just going to be honest about it. That's all right. That's all right. I just didn't care. And then when it 
look what happens in the story. He goes out, he's eternally young, and all he does is focus on happy things, right? Because at some point they're walking through the village and there's like an old woman, right? Yeah. And the old woman looks at him and goes, oh, I'm glad to see you because she's happy. Right. And the kid falls down. He starts crying, and and he runs away. He runs away from he runs a kid away from crying. The kid crying. Yeah. And Darcy is like, "What's wrong with you? That kid was hurt." And he was, Darcy made sure he was okay, and it was just crying because he was upset, not because he was really injured. He says, "Why did you do that?" And he goes, "Well, I can't have any pain in my life. I can't have any yeah any darkness, any despair. That's it. It pulls me away from this this place where I'm getting to." And he and then that's when uh, Darcy finally says, "Hey, if you're trying to get to nature." You need to understand pain because nature is pain. There is pain and suffering and and all of those things. And that is probably part of the equation that you're missing, that you need to get this great understanding. And there's some meditation on Christianity in the whole thing, too, which I did find interesting. Yeah. You know, where he's saying, well, Puritanism without, you know, the love of beauty is foolish. Uh, I, I feel like religion gets to the point where all you have is suffering. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe that. The son of God had to suffer. This is silly. I don't want anything to do with it. All I want to do is observe beauty. Now, I have to be honest with you, Chad. This is the I think this is the first story that I've ever actually not read. Mm-hmm. I, I listened to a reading of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and it was actually really a really good reading. This guy, Richard Crowest, he's got uh-huh. a bunch of E.F. Benson stories that he's read, and there's, they're nice productions, and they're done well, and he, and he reads it. He's an English guy. I listened to that, and I listened to that while I was working, and then I did my okay. notes. So, I've, I mean, I guess I've read it, but I, when I looked at the notes as well, but my first exposure to it was through this man's voice, which I thought was very accessible and I thought was interesting. And so for me, I I was on board. I was on the vibe of it. And it might have been because of his reading and not necessarily because of the writing. Well, let's uh, bring it to a close. Is This guy looks really young. Mm-hmm. He's been out in nature. Darcy says, well, yeah, I guess anybody could get really young by just contemplating happy things all the time. But maybe when you hear the pan pipes, when pan's coming to you, he's coming to teach you about the brutality of nature. Frank says, well, I can't worry about that. One night, they hear some screaming. Yep. And when they go out to see what the problem is, this is the situation. It was Frank. He was in shirt and trousers only, and he sat up with braced arms. For one half second, he stared at them, his face a mask of horrible, contorted terror. His upper lip was drawn back so that the gums of the teeth appeared, and his eyes were focused not on the two who approached him, but on something quite close to him. His nostrils were widely expanded as if he panted for breath, and terror incarnate and repulsion and deathly anguish ruled dreadful lines on his smooth cheeks and forehead. Then even as they looked, the body sank backwards, and the ropes of the hammock wheezed and strained. Darcy lifted him out and carried him indoors. Once he thought there was a faint convulsive stir of the limbs that lay with so dead a weight in his arms, but when they got inside, there was no trace of life. His eyes had closed, and the beautiful mouth lay in smiling curves, even as when a few mornings ago in the meadow by the weir it had quivered to the music of the unheard melody of Pan's pipes. Frank had come back from his bath before dinner that night in his usual costume of shirt and trousers only. He had not dressed, and during dinner, so Darcy remembered, he had rolled up the sleeves of his shirt to above the elbow. The sleeves were rolled up now. The front of the shirt was unbuttoned, 
and on his arms and on the brown skin of his chest were strange discolorations which grew momently more clear and defined, till they saw that the marks were pointed prints, as if caused by the hoofs of some monstrous goat that had leapt and stamped upon him. So he was, uh, he was killed by a, a ghost goat. Right. <laughs> or Pan. It was supposed to be Pan. I, so I was, it, I finished the story and then I tried to write down a basic summary. And I wrote, he tried to ignore the suffering of life in order to be happy all the time. So a goat came and kicked his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't like the story, but when I read that summary, it sounds pretty great. <laughs> yeah. I want to do a whole short film like this where it's, uh, it starts with a guy across from a desk and he's just like, yeah, my divorce was pretty bad. And, you know, I've been upset for a long time, but you know what? I'm just going to try and do things for me now. I'm just going to try and be happy. I'm just going to do things that please me. And then you cut and there's a goat with like glasses on and a little tie across the desk. And he's like, you're an idiot. Life doesn't work that way. And then he jumps over the desk and he beats him up. And then we uh, and then the secretary comes in and goes, are you done? And he says, yes. And then you see the waiting room and there's like 100 people out there and they're all waiting to get beat up by the goat. Yeah. Um, I, th- I mean, again, th- I thought this story in the reading of it, I found it interesting, but it, it it mostly interesting in this idea that these guys talked about. And that was the extent of it. I didn't really think it was that weird or creepy or no a- anything special. I don't know why Lovecraft, Lovecraft just kind of mentions it. He doesn't say anything specifically oh yeah what does he say about it uh the weird short story has fared well of late an important contributor being the versatile e.f benson who's the man who went too far breathes whisperingly of a house at the edge of a dark wood and of pan's hoof mark on the breast of a dead man so he just mentions it yeah that's it and he goes in to talk about uh mr benson's volume visible and invisible which is where that story is uh contains several stories of singular power, notably Negotium Paramulans, whose unfolding reveals an abnormal monster from an ancient ecclesiastical panel which performs an act of miraculous vengeance in a lonely village on the Cornish coast. Well, quite a few people said they were looking forward to us doing an E.F. Benson story. I have to think, and I know that he wrote a lot of... Scary stories. Horror fiction. Yeah, he wrote a yeah. lot of scary stories. So maybe we just got... A poor one. It's definitely a famous one, but uh, yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't dislike it, but I I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. When uh, I was just bored. For me, I, maybe it was the reading that that sold me on it. And Andrew's obviously doing a great job, but he only absolutely reads, he only reads the excerpts that we have given him. So he doesn't read the whole story. So if you want to hear the yeah. whole story, I'd say that this uh, that this fella. Richard Crowest is does a good job of it, and I, I found it interesting. And he's got a lot of other E.F. Benson stories as well. So if you want to give that stuff a try and you want to hear a, a guy read it who's um, got a good speaking voice and he does productions with it, there's some sound effects and things like that, it's, it's pretty good. We'll put a link up on our show notes and uh, people can check that out. Well, I was a little upset that this was our free show for the month because – I didn't like it, and I didn't think it was that scary. Now, we're going to move on and do Guy de Maupassant's The Horla. The Horla. I've heard a lot about it. For the rest it, of the month. But I've never read it. No, I've never read it either. I know that Maupassant went a little crazy near the end of his life, and this was written around that time. And I know that H.P. Lovecraft credited, I think, The Horla for 
being an influence on the call of Cthulhu because it's about a creature sending dreams to uh, the main character. But I've never read it either, so I'm looking forward to uh, tackling that. Yeah, it should be pretty cool. What are your strategies when you're reading something that you don't like that much? So for me, I just had to I had to tough it through this, even though I didn't care. It's hard because you find reasons not to read the story. Like I'll sit down and I go, okay, I'm going to read this story. Oh, I wonder what time it is. Oh, I don't have my phone. <laughs> uh, oh, let me see. Somebody did maybe I got an email or something. So and it's constantly going back to it and trying to pick up where you left off and getting back into the rhythm. Strategies to do that though, don't get up until you finish reading the story. So you have to sit <laughs> down. Don't have anything near you. Don't have anybody that will disturb you. You know, I think part of the reason that I might have had a problem with this is that lately I've been immersed in haunted house. Uh, mm-hmm. books yeah i i read hell house by richard matheson which we um yeah, we talked about it had done another podcast and we had talked about how that was supposedly the scariest book you know ever and i it was surprising to me because i'd never read it so i read it was it scary? it's got some moments that are pretty scary in it yeah i guess but the whole time i was reading it, i thought wow this is really just the haunting of hill house by Shirley Jackson. Now, I'd seen that movie, but I'd never read the book. So mm-hmm. I finished the Richard Matheson book, Hell House. Yeah. Then I read the Shirley Jackson book, The Haunting of Hill House, which actually gave me a couple of nightmares. Really? Even though almost nothing happens in the book, I don't know what it is about the way that she puts it together, but it is, it's scary, and I wasn't scared while I was reading it, but it got into my head. Wow. Hopefully next week uh, we're going to have some really cool stuff with the Horla. I hope so. I want to thank Andrew for rocking and rolling and doing a kick-ass reading. And I want everybody uh, to get out there and get the Case of Charles Dexter Ward adaptation from Dark Adventure Radio Theater. They do really great stuff, and it's it's a, it's an outstanding CD. Yeah, check it out. And if you would like to read something interesting, check out Deadbeats. It's at bookdepository.com. It ships free worldwide. We, we talked about um, there is the Necronomicon Lovecraft Festival this summer in August and we were talking about doing a live show and doing a Kickstarter and we still plan on doing that but we have to get all of our ducks lined up and figure out exactly how we're going to make that happen. Stay tuned and we'll let everybody know when we are ready. And that's all we have for this week. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey and you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com podcraft.com <laughs> <laughs>